Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Nishmas Rivkala Shalom. Mendel and Shir Bas Shalom Bas Daniel. And for all those that need your foods, your shoes, etc. We started Chedesh Adar, Mishnechnas Adar, Marim Besimcha. The next time, we've said many times, the next time we hear instructions about Simcha, is way down the line in Chedesh of Mishnechnas of Memait and Besimcha, that we should perhaps lessen the Simcha, but rather we say, the Mishnichnas others marm b'simcha. We need to continue adding in joy from when other when the month of other begins, and it adds and adds throughout the month. But it doesn't stop a chedish nisan or ear or sivim for that matter, but continues on. Then Mishnichnas of. Shadikim have said, we make it less. How? We minimize any issues with Simcha. And so too, the joy of the month of other, the joy true Simcha of a Jew needs to fall into place, as we say, so that we find true peace, true, true joy, true joy, and true happiness. Simcha is paid together. Simcha, joy, breaks through any boundaries, any kind of issues that one have has are broken, are destroyed through Simcha, true Simcha, and therefore, it's this month that we look to lead us to the Chedesh HaGeula, which is Chedesh Nisan, where we're not waiting until Chedesh Nisan to leave, but rather that by Chedesh Nisan we will all be out of Golos. Chedesh Adar is known for the month, for the Yom Tev of Purim, an error made, of course, by Haman, Harasha, who thought that the passing of Meish Rabbeinu that takes place in the month of Adar, the outside of Meish Rabbeinu, was enough for the Jews to have a downfall in that month, not realizing, of course, that Zion Adar is also the birthday of Meish Rabbeinu. And therefore, the Simcha of Mazali Gaver, the joy that we all talk and see and feel, is a joy that takes us to the level of Vinahapachu. What is Vinahapachu to turn it over? Picture yourself an expecting parent. A wife is due to give birth 
And Chas Vashon, the child is breech. And then all of a sudden, Vinahapachu, the child turns and locks into position ready. What greater joy. Soon, soon to be holding that baby, healthy baby in your hands. To avoid Chasashalm, anything, any difficulties that need to be done through a birth. In a we need to take our own situation, and sometimes our situation gets very dire, it gets very severe. Sometimes we feel forlorn and forsaken, we feel like the shepherd has left us. We feel like the shepherd abandoned its flock. And we need to take that moment of Inahapachu. We need to know and understand this all thoughts of the Yitzhahara. And we can't allow the Yitzhahara to put us down, to bring us down. We need to strive and to turn this over to positive, to joy, to understanding Emunashleima and be talking in Hashem, knowing that the shepherd loves unconditionally his flock and will never leave it alone, will never desert it. It's hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. And there are times where the sheep give the shepherd a hard time, they give him a run for his money. And they push away almost the shepherd. And they turn away. Tells us, we need to turn these feelings over. We need to take them to a positive vein, to a level of simcha, simcha amitis. In this week's Parsha, in this week's Parsha, we see an interesting material was used. by the Jews to construct the Mishkan. The Atzei Shittim. Acacia wood. Special type of wood. Special tree. They were in a desert, mind you, traveling out of Egypt. Where are they finding this Acacia wood? This Atzei Shittim. Chassidus explains Shittim is Loshen Shtus Ein Adam Chet Ad Shenichnes Beiruach Shtus A person does not sin until a sense of folly enters into their minds A person will not sin if they understood how they might be in, what, in any which way, form or fashion 
severing their connection, God forbid, with God Himself. Hence, shittim, the Yatsi shittim that were taken, are to teach us how to overcome this frivolous behavior and frivolous thoughts. But let us get back to the original question. Where did they find these trees? Rashi, the champion of the Benchamesh, the Mikra, the champion of the child studying, the five-year-old child studying Chumash, has the simplest explanations always. And with the simplest explanations, he tells and enlightens the child and opens the child's eyes to understand what the Torah says. What does Rashi tell us? He asks this question, where did they get this in the desert? And whereas other commentaries try to go a different route by saying in the nearby forests, or they purchased, or whatever it was, Rashi says that B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish nation, left Egypt. They left Mitzrayim with the trees. First of all, they were overloaded, burdened, piled up with gold and silver and everything. What were they doing with the trees? Secondly, where did they get these trees in Egypt? How do they know they weren't commanded till later. How do they know they would need these trees? Rashi says, I have an answer. He says, the Medrash Tanchuma tells us, or he says it in the name of Medrash Rabbi Tanchuma, that Yaakov Avinu, our forefather Yaakov, foresaw with Ruach HaKedosh, with his divine intuition, that the Jews would be in Egypt as slaves, and they would leave Egypt, and they would go to Mount Tain, and they would go to Israel. But he also saw that a Mishkan was going to be built in the desert. And they would need this wood. So when Yaakov came down to Mitzrayim, he brought along with him. He brought these saplings and he planted them in Egypt. And everybody knew the message was across the board by everybody. No matter how many generations lived in Mitzrayim, the message was handed down hand over hand, mouth to mouth, child to child. When we leave Egypt, don't forget to take this with us. Yaakov commanded that we take this. Honestly, what happened here? Why did Yaakov schlep from Eretz Yisrael, these trees, all the way to Egypt? He knew very well the Eden could have gotten this any other given way. He knew he didn't have to leave the money for it. 
But they could have purchased. There must have been forests somewhere near the deserts that they'd be able to get it. <coughs> Yaakov had a reason. And I've said this before, and I think that it's very, very pertinent to our lives. It's important, no matter how many times Pashastrum has spoken, this message needs to be given. Not only do we understand, will we need to understand what Yaakov's intention was, we need to hear why Rashi is quoting Rabbi Tanchuma. The word Tanchuma comes from Tanchumim, consolations. To console somebody. Nichum Avelim. Yaakov brought the trees to Egypt from Eretz Yisrael. Planted them prominently in Egypt for everyone to see. For everyone to know and to perpetually remember his prophecy that they would go free one day commanded to build a Mishkan in the desert the most darkest moments of slavery the most difficult tortures these trees were hope and comfort they saw the trees made in Israel. They came from the land of Israel. This reassured them that the Gullus will not remain forever. That they will leave the Gullus. <coughs> yes, they could have bought it anywhere else. Yaakov brought it as a symbol because after all Yaakov insisted not being buried in Mitzrayim so if Yaakov's grave, his tomb would have been there and he would have said when you go out of Golos take me out with you they would have known that we're going out one day because Yaakov promised and they would go daven by his tomb every day they didn't daven to these trees God forbid but they looked at these trees and they t- saw these tall trees and knew, oh, this is the flag that Yaakov Avinu planted. This is that ray of hope that Yaakov Avinu left us to show us that we're not forlorn, we're not forsaken, we're not forgotten. The shepherd does not leave his flock. That shepherd not only doesn't leave the flock, but the shepherd always makes sure that the flock knows I'm here for you and you will go with me I will take you with me this therefore is the message of Rashi of the Atzei Shittim 
teaching us that Yaakov Avinu did not leave the children. Beginning of the Pasha says, Dabra ben equally Truma. Speak to the Jews and take for me Truma. Lilishmi, for my name, to keep me, to keep my name sanctified. A very interesting story that I heard this week. There was a Yid. It was a very big Balaskin. It was a very big Askin. Always doing things for people and helping and going and running. And such people usually, often time, um, don't like to use the word or the expression, but end up somewhat neglecting their family. They're obviously doing good things but they sometimes miss an appointment, a party, or something of the sort. Well, this Shimon promised his children he was going to take them swimming that evening, that afternoon. He got very caught up in something. By the time he got home, it was very late. And he called ahead to find out if they have any time, if I bring them now. I said, yeah, the pool closes at 8. So he was there by 6.15, 6.30. And they said, 8 o'clock, everybody out of the pool, 8.15, the place closes down. I said, okay, 6.30, bathing suits, shower, whatever, by quarter to 7, they should be in the pool. An hour and a quarter, nice. Children out of the pool, they're swimming. Suddenly, a quarter to eight. Fifteen minutes earlier, the whistles are blowing. Lifeguards are say, everybody out of the pool. He was furiated. He's sitting there on the side watching his children, or watching his phone. But he hears a quarter to eight. It's only a quarter to eight. They have fifteen more minutes. Why are you throwing them out? And he screams at everybody, don't move. There's 15 more minutes in the pool. Don't listen to them. Then like a bolt of lightning. He says to himself, what am I, crazy? Yeah, they're doing something a little bit wrong. A little early. They're taking advantage here. Maybe they have to go home. Maybe they have something they have to do. And maybe they understand that once they start screaming at a quarter to eight, maybe the people finally get out. Everybody's out by eight. So he said, okay, Kindlach, everybody out, Taka. Everybody out of the pool. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have intervened. Within half a minute or so, everybody was out of the pool, except they noticed on the bottom of the pool was a child. The lifeguards immediately jumped in and they pulled out Shimon's son, one of his children. 
and they quickly worked on him and worked on him and worked on him. He was not responsive. It took quite a while till they got him back. They got back a pulse. Immediately got him to the hospital. And there they examined to make sure there was Hashem, no brain damage so long on the water with no breathing, no oxygen. And lo and behold, the doctors told him, you literally got him out on the exact border moment. Another few seconds, not minutes, another few seconds, and you would have lost this child, Chas And the child recuperated, and the child was totally back to normally sitting today in yeshiva learning. He saw how HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hand leads you and takes you where you need to be and when you need to be there. How although he felt that it was an, an avla, that they were actually wronging him by sending them out of the pool early. Had he not listened? Had he kept his protest up, Rahman al-Litzlan? Heaven forbid what would have happened to his own child. So we see, V'hikhuli truma. I command, I ask for it, I said to have it, bring it. Ask no questions. This is Pasha, Pasha Truma, and Pasha Tetzave go hand in hand. They're not two Pashas together this year. In this Pasha, they're commanded how to do the Mishkan, and the next Pasha, they actually build it. When did this happen? This command of building a Mishkan, when did it take place? There are three opinions. There's the opinion of the Zayhar, Is the opinion a second uh, in second opinion, which ultimately is Medish Tenchuma, and there's a third opinion, also part of the Zaya Ramban. First opinion of the Zayar, this commandment came about immediately after Matantera, even before the sin of the golden calf. And he substantiates his opinion, we'll soon see how. The second opinion is 
the commandment took place on Yom Kippur. Vav Sivan was Matan Teda. Forty days later, Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Luchas down. We know what happened then. And then 40 days later, after Moshe Rabbeinu davened for the Yidin, they were in the Sratza, and it was Yom Kippur. After, on, so this commandment took place on that Yom Kippur, after the Chet Egel. They knew they were forgiven for the sin of the Egel. The third opinion, though, is this was said before Chet Egel, and Moshe only told it to them after Yom Kippur. Okay. Three opinions as to when the Jews found out about this mitzvah. These three opinions tells us of the different situation the Jews were found at this time. Their levels of service to God. According to the Zayar, where the commandment was given to them right before, even before the sin of the golden calf, the Yidin, the Jews, were on the highest possible level. They were pure tzaddikim. Because whenever they were, when they came out of Egypt, the days leading up to Matanteda cleansed them, and they were now totally purified from the impurities of Egypt. How do we imagine that's when it happened? Very simple. By the Chet Egel, Aaron wanted to procrastinate the whole sin. We spoke about this. How did he want to do this? He told them, go to your wives, ask them for gold, and we're going to build something. He knew very well, they went to the wives and said, we want to build something because we need a new God. They were going to get a vulgar holster, they would get a rolling pin on their head. They're not getting gold from the wife. But they wanted this to happen. Tells us the tater, they took out their nose rings and their earrings, whatever they had, their own jewelry, and they gave it for this chete, for this sin. So common sense asks, you just left, left Egypt loaded with gold and silver. Then you got to the Yamsuf, and all the Egyptians' gold and silver washed up, and you took that too. Every Jew at that point in time was filthy rich, literally speaking. Where was the gold? 
Where was the gold? Elamai. They were pure tzaddikim. Right after Matan Teda, they were pure tzaddikim. And when the Meshe gave the command and said that they needed to give gold and silver, they gave whatever they had. They spared no nothing. So now, when the Echata Egel, when it came to sin for the golden calf, now when they were asked to give gold and silver, they didn't have. What did they have? They had the shmonses, their jewelry that they had left. But their gold and silver itself, they gave away ready for the Mishkan. That's why they had to only give, that's all they had to give was the nose rings. So according to that opinion, that's why the Zayah bases his opinion saying that the Mishkan, <coughs> the command for the Mishkan was done right after Mount Taylor, before the Chatehegel, and the Yidin were now, had given away all their gold and silver for it. Because they were purely righteous. According to the second command, that it was only after Yom Kippur, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, Salachti Kidvarecha, I have forgiven you. And he forgave the Jewish nation for the sin of the golden calf, Chetah Egel. The Jews were then at a level known as a Balei Tshuva. People that had done Tshuva had repented. A Bal Tshuva is not just someone who did repent, but he is a master of repentance. According to the third opinion, that the command was given to Moshe before Chateigel, and the Eden only heard it after Yom Kippur, We hear that in that case, unfortunately, the Jews were in a very bad strait. They were in a very, very lowly level. But yet, but yet we hear the Asuli Migdash. Make me a Migdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at this mixture of tzaddikim, balei tshuva, and achman al-tzad, the opposite, says, I want you to make me a midrash. If you keep your score at home, the Gemara and Eid of Inyid, Gimel Amit Beis, 13, side 2. Gemara says, a very interesting expression, Eilu ve'eilu divrei likim chayim.
When we have a dis, not a discourse, you have a machlekes expression of different opinions in the Talmud or Teda. They're totally opposite. One says Asr, one says Mutter, one says Yain, one says Laila practically. One prohibits and one permit, permits. Tells us the Gemara, Eilu v'Eilu Chaim, they are both speaking God's words. In that case, these three opinions have us give us a lifelong lesson. When a Jew is found in the level of a tzaddik, he says, I am totally detached from the world. I have no reason to look at or to be involved with anything in the world, like we found by Rabshim and by Yechai. And therefore he disconnects. I do and deal only spiritually. The Torah commands the Sadiq Vasuli Migdashanti Bisaikum. Make a temple, make me a tabernacle, and I you should live I should live within it. You too, Tzadik, need to take physical, mundane material and make a Mishkan Fakadish Barakhu. In flip side, the Balchuva says the mundane physical world caused me to sin. That's what got me in trouble to begin with. And therefore I want to detach myself totally from this world and only involve myself in spirituality. Again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, this is what makes your tshuva complete. By involving yourself in the physical mundane world. And then comes the person that's the opposite of a tzaddik. He definitely has the place to argue or to mistake himself and says, I haven't repented. I'm not doing the right thing anyway. I don't live a good life. I have no place in this temple, this tabernacle. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him as well, Ulerosha Amar Likim What is it to you that you need to say and tell my story? On this comes the opinion, the third opinion, it teaches us that the commandment is not nullified. Not the head. What? He's going. Not going to go to the park.
It's not nullified even in the time of the eagle. Even before the Jews did tshuva, the Jew was commanded to make the Mishkan. He's leaving, he'll take you. Ready? So when they ask, how can a Russia make a Mishkan for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The answer is when the Russia involves himself in Teirah Mitzvahs, at the end, Hamoyer Shabbat Machzir Alamutav. As the Mari Yeshalmi and Chagiga. That whatever they do turns over for good. In the Orin, one of the vessels that were made was the Orin. The Ark. It was known as Orin Ha'edus. She placed into the ark the testimony which I will give you. The Gemara teaches us that in this Aaron were two things, three actually. Were the broken tablets, the broken Luchais, the whole Luchais, and Moshe's Terah. The first Luchas, as we know, were given right after the revelation on Har Sinai, before Bnei Yisrael sinned with the Chet Egel. And the Jews at that point were spiritually perfect. They saw godliness. Again, if you give me score at home, the Gemara Shabbos Kuf Mem Vov Says that at Matan Teda the filth departed. Teya. Therefore, the remnants of the first luchais represent the tzaddik, a Jew in the most <coughs> excuse me perfect and elevated state. The second set of luchais were given to Moshe and Yom Kippur after God pardoned Bnei Yisrael. After he pardoned them for the golden for the sin. These luchas represent the Balchuva again. A person that had gone astray and now did repented since. Both the Tzaddik and the Balchuva were represented in this Aran. With the first and the second luchas respectively. There's a third possible state of the Jewish nation that a Jew can find himself, as we said, the Russia, not yet ready to amend his sins. The first luchas, the luchas of flawlessness, don't represent him. The second luchas of repentance don't represent him. But this Jew is represented, <coughs> excuse me, in the luchas, in the Aaron, by the first Luchas being broken. The fact that they are in such a state is because of this third party. 
and therefore representing all these three categories of Jews in the Aaron, the Torah highlights that the commandment to build a Mishkan, as we said, an eternal lesson we learn from this mitzvah, applies to every Jew equally. Regardless their spiritual state currently, whether perfect or far from it. One must endeavor to elevate your material life to serve exclusively as a home for God. The Bashem HaKadosh very often time took random journeys. He would take a Talmud, one or two students or sometimes a band of students and go off to an unknown destination unannounced and many 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 stories took place of the Balshemta's journeys many of them are Thursday nights or Matzah Shabbos as we've said before according to some opinion there weren't that many Saturday nights and Thursday nights in Bashamta's life as there are stories. So, Chassidim say, if you believe all the Bashamta stories, you're a fool. And if you don't, you're an Apicurus. You're an heretic. Choose your poison. Vashem took two students and went off for a journey one night. They arrived in the town, very simple looking town, nothingness really. And The Lashemta told the wagon driver, stop here. Outside a very unassuming looking house. They stopped outside the house. The Lashemta disembarks with his two tummy them. And he knocks on the door. Excuse me, he doesn't knock on the door. The owner of the house comes out. Simple Jew. Moishele. He's the first house of the city, of the shtetl. And he comes out, and the Boshemtiv turns to him and says, Rabid, we're cold. We're tired. Pray let us into your home. There's something warm to drink place to warm up, to rest a little bit. Man was of humble means, or simply spoke, speaking, simply translated, he was a poor pauper. He immediately jumped at the opportunity of welcoming guests, he brought them into his home, and he ran, he stoked a fire, and he ran to get some milk, he brought fresh warm milk, he asked, whence are from 
Whence are you from? My dear guests. And they answered from Mezhibuz. Mezhibuz, he says. The home of the Baal Shem Oh my gosh. Pray tell me, please, say something about him. Tell me a story of the Holy Baal Shem I hear there's such wonders and miracles about him. Please tell me something. Hashem looks at him and says, Please, Rabid, we're exhausted, we're freezing. Let us warm up. We'll talk about Hashem at a different time. Do you have anything to eat, maybe? We're starving. And he gave them whatever he had to eat. The leftovers were given to the children, the starving children. And they said, Please, I know it's difficult, but could we just lie down here for a few hours? And he took together whatever he could. He made makeshift beds and gave his guests the beds, and he slept on the floor with his wife and the children in corners. The next day, the guests didn't leave. And again they asked for food, and again they asked for drink, and again they asked for lodging. There was nothing left. He sold something in the house to go buy something. This happened this third day and a fifth day. Finally on the fifth day, the man was totally destitute. Cleaned out. Nothing to sell anymore. Nothing to barter. Nothing to anything. At which point the Baal told us, Tamid, I'm leaving. And as he was leaving, he told that Meshe, you wanted to know so much about the Baal Shem Tov. I am Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem. And poof, the horse and wagon was off. What can I tell you? The disappointment in this Yidnebuch, the Tzabrachin kite, he was shattered. I, I, whoa! Was I was I was I hospi- hospitable enough? Did I give him enough covered? Did I do right by him? That was the Bosham Oh, he was crying, and he told his children. He called his children together, and he told them stories of Bosham that he knew about. And he told them, we just had the Vashem in our own midst. Did we act properly? Did we behave properly? Did we treat him properly? What did we do? Well, after he finished bemoaning the departure of the Vashem who departed and left him high and dry, He realized he's got to get his act together. Time to get his act together. <laughs> he's got to feed his kids. Well, a knock at the door. Ivan. Ivan says, Moshke, let me in your house. He lets him into his house. 
And he takes out a gold coin. This is Moshkale. Go buy me a good bottle of whiskey. And with the change, buy something for your children. The change of a gold coin. Woof. Needless to say, he ran out. He bought the best bottle of whiskey and had substantial change to buy his children proper food. The next day, Moshka was back with another coin. With the same request. A third day, a fourth day, and the final Moshka, Ivan turns to him and says, Moshka, I'll tell you the truth. My daughter treats me like garbage. She's my only child. The way you treated me the last few days, it's, it's unbelievable. Do me a favor. You have an attic here. Let me live by you. Let me give, live in the attic. And each day I'll give you a coin and you go buy me mashke. And keep the change. Mashke couldn't argue that point. After a few days, Ivan tells him, Moshkele, you want to know a secret where my money is coming from, probably. Come, I will show you. And he walks with Moshkele into the forest, and he tells him a story of people, Ganovim, that came through town, and they had lost this money, and he found it. And now he buried this treasure. And he shows Moshkele, the hole uncovers and he shows him the treasure chest. Literally. Packed with gold coins. Says to Moshke, my daughter doesn't deserve this. And I was wondering, where am I going to do? Where am I going to put it after I die? Moshke, you're the man. You treated me so well and nicely. When I die, you keep this. And lo and behold, Moshka kept the deal every few, every day, he bought him a bottle, and eventually, the old Ivan drunk himself to death, and Moshka became a very wealthy man. And he understood the visit of the Bashemtev, what kind of bracha he gave to him. And we see, therefore, that when we need to accept what we don't understand he didn't even know he was serving the Bashemtev but he gave away everything he had so that this person would be happy and healthy this person would be satisfied in his house and dwell within them Shalom Kodesh says, it doesn't say the word, make me a tabernacle and dwell within it, but within them. To which the Shalom translates, refers to each and every Jew, within each and every Jew. The Mishkan was commanded, the Jews were commanded to set up this Mishkan in the Midbar. 
resting of the Shekhinah in this world. A dwelling place. Through this Mishkan, the Shekhinah was able to rest not only in itself, but in the soul, within the soul of each and every Jew. And the Chazal tell us, it's put on the Alshech, many places are Chopanim, the Yosu, the Midrash, the Shekhanti, as we just quoted the Bashallah, Bseikha the Nemar, El Bseikham, Bseikh Lechad Vechad Mizrael. Kashbarakh said, not in it, but within you, all of you, each and every Jew. The connection between the Mishkan and the person is a deep and inner connection. The construction of the Mishkan, the edifice of the Mishkan, is similar to the edifice of the person, the body of the person. This comparison, therefore, teaches us different, it, it, excuse me, it expresses itself in different parts of the Mishkan. For the necessities of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, the Jews needed three different types of donations, three trumas. First was the trumas ha'adonim, the trumas ha'karbonis, donations for the sacrifices, public sacrifices, and trumas ha'adeshen, the general um, how would you call it Tzarkabais the general upkeep of the temple These are the three types. Why were the Adonim, the Karbonis, separate donations? Why aren't they all in one? Beams, this, that. Also, there's a difference in the Trumas Hamishkan generally and the Trumas Adonim and the Karbonis. The truma, the first truma, was done benidvasli by Each one according to what they wanted to give. This one gave more. This one gave less. But trumas achtus, the trumas, the other truma, was done individually. Each person gave a machtsis hashekel. A half a shekel. When it comes to the karbanas, we understand that karbanas were go- brought to forgive for the chet eagle, for the sin of the golden calf. This is a flaw by the Jewish nation, 
and therefore it needs to be done a unified front, everyone together. What do they have, the Adonim? How did that unite from all of the parts of the Mishkan? And more so the Truma, especially from Machsa Shekel. So here we come to an interesting point. The Mishkan was built similarly to the body, to the soul of a person. The Karsha Mishkan, the beams, were like the, the Kreich, the Seichel, the Hergish, intellect, feelings, emotions. And therefore there were ten Ames. Ten Ames is the ten Kreichs of the person. On them were the Yiriyas, the curtains, which is the general makifim, general kreches of the person, of the soul, which is the yearning, pleasures. The Adonim, they're the bottom pieces. They represent Kabbalah soil. They represent humbleness, humility, and just like in the Mishkan, there was Adonim that were part, the lowest part of the Mishkan. When it comes to the general building of something, construction, and also in the Nefesh Adam, Kabbalah's El, accepting of the yoke, humbleness, is usually the lowest rung when it comes to serving God. But, but, it's the foundation. And on this, everything stands. So the first thing a, new, a Jew needs to do, when he gets up in the morning, say, a simple praise, showing his humility to God. Only afterwards, he can reach different levels of tefillah. And so also by Lima Dateira. The Tchusha of a Nafshik Afalakiltiya, person says, My soul is as if it's dust. This is the way the opening to Sakhlibi Vizera Secha opened my heart to Yatera. After the Kabbalah sale and the Bittel of the Adonim, which are the foundation to all service of God. Then you needed to approach the Mishkan itself. Then we needed to see all the other Trumais, especially the one that caused unity, the Machsa Shekel, to stress the high level, the high basis, and to see that each and every Jew is an individual person, and the highest of levels, the Krashim, and this also divides Venish Dariel, but the Kabbalah's El is equal by each and every Jew, and may we accept accepting the yoke of God, may we accept it soon, and may we see the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi in the Shalayim, in HaKadosh, this Shabbos, the Shabbos to all.